the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Battle is in sharp focus. Burdell right up the middle. Breaks free. CJ Burdell. Aiming for the end zone. Can they run him down? No! Touchdown, Ducks! 70 yards. And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast. He is Tom Fernelli. I am Barton Simmons. And today we're joined by Chip Patterson, who we'll be placing on the hurry-up hot seat. Chip, have a seat, young man. We're going to get into it. Talking about – thank you. Go ahead. ba boom. <laughs> Talking about the Oregon Ducks. Uh, Oregon Ducks, breakthrough year last year, eh, started up – you know, moved towards the top of the, the pecking order in college football once again. What has Mario Cristobal got in store for uh, a uh, follow-up, give us your opening statement. I think that this team is has the potential to be breaking in a lot of young talent that is showing up, ready to go. I think you know you got eight early enrollees from the 2020 class, ranked number 12 in the country, uh, including, and I'm sure we'll talk more about Penny Sewell, the face of the Pac-12, but Noah Sewell, five-star linebacker coming in. You've got nine starters back on defense. I Kayvon Thibodeau coming off a, an electric freshman season, leading the team in sacks and tackles for loss. I, I see uh, a team that should very definitely be still at the top of the Pac-12 championship picture, but its college football playoff hopes are entirely going to hinge on what Joe Moorhead and quarterback to be named, whether that's Anthony Brown transfer from Boston College, whether that's Tyler Shuck, whether that's Butterfield coming in uh, and trying to make an instant impact. The fact that they've got Ohio State and Washington, two teams that I think are going to field top 10 defenses this coming fall, the fact that they've got both those games in the first five weeks of the season makes it very, very tough on, oh, yeah, and by the way, an offensive line that's replacing a combined 177 career starts, losing four of the five starters. Everybody not named Penny Sewell uh, gone, graduated off to the NFL uh, or likewise. And so it's it's very much like Mario Cristobal has built this up to be uh, tough, to be hard-nosed. He's crushed it on the recruiting trail. I think that just like they had one of the best red zone defenses a year ago, I think they're going to again. But man, it's... A lot's going to fall on that offense, a new offensive coordinator, and a new quarterback behind a new offensive line. Um, If they can put it all together, this team could be in the college football playoffs. But with Ohio State in week two and Washington in week five, they need to figure out ways to score some points right off the bat. Are you confident that they're going to be able to do that with a new quarterback there? And also, I mean, I know you don't have any inside info here, but who who do you think has the – 
head start or at least a foot in the door to become the starting quarterback for Oregon in 2020. I think Anthony Brown is going to benefit from the fact that there's a change at offensive coordinator and that whatever comfort or familiarity advantage that Tyler Shuck might have had is out the window. Um, so if I'm betting, I'm betting that it's Brown. And I, I think Brown could be really good, but again, like CJ Verdell has been great. And I think that if you look at Joe Moorhead and you think about him as the leader of the Penn State offense with Saquon Barkley, you can maybe draw some assumptions where, uh, not that it'll be as prolific as Barkley or not that I'm comparing him to Barkley uh, as an NFL prospect, but you're utilized in the offense in lots of different ways. And I think that if you look at CJ Verdell and you think like, man, if you just sort of build the offense around him, figure out what creative ways to get him the ball out of the backfield, uh, in addition to what I'm sure Mario Cristobal wants to see as a good physical rushing attack, much of what they've built on uh, from a year ago, then, yeah, I, I think that Anthony Brown's the starting quarterback, and I think the offense can be successful, but I think the wide receiver room has, has let me down a little bit, fallen short of expectations. That's a place where someone has got to step up uh, to be able to be a real difference maker because – the, a more conservative offensive approach, which I think defined a lot of Oregon's success so far, it it's only going to go um, – it's not going to work against the best defenses in the country, and they've got a couple of them in Ohio State and Washington. So Oregon's going to have one of the better defensive backfields you're going to find anywhere. They're going to have uh, a young pass rusher up front, who you mentioned, and, and a pretty good defensive front of guys that could have gone to the NFL. They're going to have a couple five-star linebackers coming in. They've got a lot to like defensively. Andy Avalos did a good job last year in that unit. But I want to go back to offense. And I all this entire Mario Cristobal experience in Eugene has been all about building the line of scrimmage, building the line of scrimmage. And you mentioned it. You preempted the question, trying to duck it. <laughs> but four offensive linemen gone. The identity of the team is gone. This is not as if, like, they lost four wide receivers, but the best one remains. They lost four offensive linemen, but the best one remains. How, why should we have any confidence that Oregon can return as the same sort of physical presence? Because now they don't have a first-round draft pick to make up for any mistakes in the back there. And what is their identity anyways as they're trying to figure it out with Joe Moorhead coming in on offense? You know, Give me a little bit on this offensive line and what we should expect. I think that we're going to expect a step back. I mean, Calvin Throckmorton started every single game that he was an Oregon football player. I mean, the, Shane Lemieux, Jake Hansen, Dallas Warmack, like the, these are players that have been mainstays and helped uh, establish that like that tradition. I think that's where I go to the last two recruiting classes and I think about some of the youth that is going to be forced into action. I think that they're going to show some of that youth. I I think that we're going to see the offensive line have some real growing pains at times this season, and it's going to be a situation where they're going to be better uh, down the line in 2021 and 2022, but this hot seat's not about 2021 or 2022. It, it's about them figuring out ways to very quickly get on the same page. I mean, new offensive linemen can be all about the culture that you're talking about. They can carry it. Every day when they're in the building, when they're when they're in the weight room, when they're doing their work, when they're uh, you know doing their film work, and they're getting ready for games, they can they can walk the walk. They can be everything that Mario Cristobal wants in terms of this being built from the line of scrimmage out. 
But, I mean, they're just going to have a little bit of an experience disadvantage out there and not having the reps of spring practice, not having a full offseason workout, and having to do it all with Joe Moorhead. Like, I think that I still have the expectations for Oregon to be an offensive line U kind of place, but I think that in terms of performance, there are going to be mistakes made uh, this fall that I'm going to group on the inexperience. Barton mentioned the work that Cristobal has done in the trenches, and you just discussed the offensive line. And I do think that while there's a lot of an experience there with Cristobal's background of who he was as a player and who he's been as a coach, I do think it's fair to have some optimism that the offensive line, even if it's inexperienced, will probably be a pretty good unit for Oregon. But let's let's go to the other side of those trenches. I think the biggest signal of intent for when Mario Cristobal took over at Oregon and started overhauling the kind of culture of what they want to be in the Pac-12 and kind of sending a signal to everybody else that, hey, we're going to start recruiting at a little bit of a different level than we're used to around here, was when he landed Kayvon Thibodeau. And Thibodeau had a great season as a freshman with nine sacks, 14 tackles for loss. Where do you put him in your mind as far as like an edge rusher defensive end nationally, not just in the Pac-12? What do you think Thibodeau can be for the Ducks? Top five defender, any position in all of college football. I think that we are going to be talking about Kayvon Thibodeau in the same conversations as Micah Parsons and Derek Stingley. Uh, I think that we are, we're going to be looking at him. If I was to set an over-under on the number of sacks that he's going to have this season, I mean, I, I'd say he's going to go from nine sacks probably to like 12 and a half. I think he'll be uh, one of the best pass rushers in the entire country. And look, the rest of that line, also a lot of freshmen and sophomores that were getting burned last year, they're all really, really good. Like It's going to be a situation where Kayvon Thibodeau is individually one of the best defenders in all of college football, but I think that that whole defensive front, I mean, Justin Flo is a monster. He's coming in there, uh, and I imagine that he, like Kayvon Thibodeau, like Justin Flo was what, number six player in the country, Barton? Thereabouts. Like, yeah, I, I think that we see instant impact from him. That whole defensive front is going to make Thibodeau's life even easier because you're not going to be able to just double-team him every time. So, yeah, I, I think he's a top five. He has the potential to be a top five defender, any position in the entire country. Uh, and I have very high expectations for him. And again, remember, he'll only be a true sophomore, so that'll give him another year uh, in college football before the NFL gets its hands on him. All right, last question for you from me, Mr. Patterson. Oregon, Ohio State, are those are those comparable teams when they line up in September, or are we going to see one team that is a significant tier above the other? One team is a significant tier above the other, and I expect that how much like in Justin Fields and that group of wide receivers next season is going to be so much further ahead than whoever is quarterback for new offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead that the home field and a really good defense is not going to be enough for Ohio State to be able to get in and out of Eugene with the win. I have, I have one final question for the witness, if that's OK, Your Honor. Proceed. I look at Oregon in 2020 and I see somewhat of a volatile asset. So I want to know, in your opinion, 
What is the best case scenario for Oregon in 2020? And what do you think the worst case scenario would be? That could be record wise or just anything you feel like discussing. I am very glad you mentioned that because it's actually in my story, which you can find on CBSSports.com. My best case is 11 and one and my worst case is seven and five. Hmm. Now, what do you think happens for them to get to seven and five? Lose to Washington, uh, Cal, USC, Ohio State, and one they shouldn't lose. And their quarterback play must end up sucking. Oh, yeah. Offensive line is never gels because they don't have the reps. Anthony Brown can't stay healthy. Tyler Shuck isn't consistent. Um, it is that worst case scenario is seven and five and them falling woefully short on offense. Best case, 11 and one playing for the college football playoff. Hmm. I, 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 I agree with a lot of that. Four game swing, wild team to track. Yeah, like I said, I think this is a volatile asset and interesting to watch in 2020. Prosecution rests. He is Chip Patterson. You can find him at Chip underscore Patterson. He is Tom Fernelli. You can find him at Tom Fernelli. I am Bart Simmons. This has been the Cover 3 Podcast. The hot seat. Hurry up, hurry up, hot seat. See you next time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.